Good morning and welcome on this almost rainy day, right, Thomas? Almost yeah, rainy day. <laughs> Threatening. <laughs> Threatening rain. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I just put this slide up here um, because um, this year we're going to try it again and we're going to try again. Um, uh, can you go upstairs or something? And uh, we just wanted to start going through the Bible again and we're going to want to use the Bible Project app. And um, so we're getting a jump on it. So uh, download the app. Now they are changing the format for the Bible Project and I. Just look last night, and they have this pre um, pre order. So I think the app is going to be ready actually on the fifteenth, which is what Tuesday or Wednesday or something. And um, but I just put it on your reminders or your notes, and I'll remind us again on Wednesday. It should be able to be downloaded then. Um, they're they're changing their format a little bit. So if you have the old one, you're good. Uh, but um, just update it to the new one. And then what we'll do once everybody has this app on your Google or Apple device, um, then you can, once you have the app, then we can send a link to you to link up to our reading through the Bible in a year. But we're going to actually read through the New Testament in a year. So we'll do the New Testament in a year. Uh, we'll kind of start out a little bit slower and then, you know, we'll go from there. So um, again, uh, just download the app on the 15th and then. Um, well, we'll send you a link once you have the app, and then you can choose to join the group. And that way we can all kind of read together, be on the same place. And those of us that are part of it can, you know, make comments or ask questions and about the particular passages we're on and everything. And then so our goal is to get through the New Testament in a year. So um, anyway, I just putting that up there, and we'll remind us again as it gets a little bit closer. So if you want to, if you have the app, great. Um, but if you don't want, if you don't, then get ready to download it, and we'll pick it up um, uh, more on Wednesday. All right. Okay. That being said, if you haven't made your way in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 22, is where we find ourselves this morning. And for you guys that are watching online or even watching it at a later time, um, I always encourage you to get your Bible and follow along with us. So. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up uh, where we left off, which is verse 31. But before we do that, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then um, we'll, we'll pick it up there. Father, as we come before you now, Lord, we ask that you would just move in our hearts and our midst, Lord. We thank you for the rain that's going to come, and um, we certainly need it here. And we ask, uh, we're thankful for the blessings that you pour out into our lives as well, Lord. And we ask now that you would just draw us closer to you as we look into your word, Father. Um, moved by your spirit in our hearts and our midst, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, and Father, we just also want to hold up our brother Marty, um, who's teaching this morning at uh, one of the uh, biker uh, clubs, the bigger ones. They have a church service once a month on Sunday, and I know he's... Uh, He's teaching there just right now, so we pray that you would bless him uh, as well during this time and just use him to minister to them and share really the gospel with, with a lot of them, Father. Just, just bless his time there, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, he's off doing that, so. And uh, he's good because he shares the gospel with them, even though. Anyway, I better not 
go down that road. All right, well, let's actually, let's get a running start this morning. Uh, let's, let's read through from verse 23, and then we'll pick it up, you know, and comment after verse 31, just so we kind of remember where, where we left off. And again, Jesus uh, having uh, the Last Supper and finishing it up, and then, um, you know, Jesus talking about what he's going to go through, and then this breaks out, you know. Verse 23 says, And they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing, speaking about who would betray them. And then verse 24 says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to him, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. And uh, on the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And again, so Jesus is facing his his biggest trial, the cup, and, you know, these guys are still thinking in a whole different place. They're arguing, you know, who who is going to be greater, and then Jesus explained to them, you know, the way up is down, serving one another. And and this is important to remember as we read this next verse about Peter, which says in verse 31, And the Lord said to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, to me, this is pretty interesting because, um, again, whenever Jesus repeats something twice, it's it's to emphasize its importance. You know, he'll use a name, you know, Martha, Martha. He'll say, verily, verily, I say to you. Uh, you know, when he repeats something twice, the idea is emphasis. And interestingly enough, he uses Peter's old name, Simon. Because remember, Jesus, it's, I'm going to call you Peter, you know, the rock or Rocky, we might say today, as a nickname. But he goes back and uses Simon's old name. Um, and again, just, you know, there's that old nature there. And, and the enemy, Satan, wants to use it to, to tear you apart, you know, to see what you're really made of, to sift you. You know, the devil is asking for you to, you know, again... We don't really separate wheat around here, but just think of taking a peanut out of a shell, right? Okay, a pistachio, a regular peanut or whatever you think of, right? You take it out of its shell, and, you know, you're separating it, you're pulling it apart. And that, uh, the idea is, you know, to see what he, just, let's see what he's really made of. You know, Satan is asking to do that. And of course, to pretty much sift or separate or break apart, you know, uh, you know, really see, you know, test his metal, so to speak. Um, I find that interesting, and there's a couple of interesting things about this. First of all, again, it's always important to remember, first off, that Satan needs to have permission from God. 
uh, he isn't in control on God's children. And of course, the whole book of Job, pretty much, you know, that's one of the whole big reasons behind the whole book of Job is, you know, to show that God's in control and the devil has to ask permission. Um, yes, is he like a roaring lion? The New Testament tells us seeking who he can de devour. Absolutely. But he's like this nasty, vicious dog, but he's on a leash. And again, uh, it just reminds us again that, yes, the enemy's out there, and yes, he's vicious and powerful and nasty, but there's a leash on him, and God controls that leash and how much leash he lets out, if you would, you know, thinking of a dog. You, know, you can have this dog that has just looked like it would just die and rip you apart, but if it's it's leashed or chained or anchored somehow. It can only go out 10 feet or 20 feet or whatever. You know, it's only harmful in, this, in that range uh, because that's its limit. And if you would, uh, that's kind of the same thing, you know, uh, our Heavenly Father has over Satan. And again, it just reminds us he's, there's no equal, he's not equal to God in some way. There's not this good and evil balance of power that goes back once and forth. The devil wins some, God wins some. It's not like that at all. The Bible uh, doesn't speak in those terms at all. You know, God's certainly in control. And, um, but he does want to do this to Peter or to Simon, as Jesus refers to him here. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he does want to destroy. And he does, and every opportunity he gets, you know, um, when you're down, you think, okay, I'm down already. No, he wants to kick you when you're down. And when you're kicked when you're down, he wants to crush you when you're down. I mean, that's, that's, that's the heart of Satan and his destruction. And um, again, we talked about that a little last time, even just to the point where, you know, he's using Judas, literally physically entering Judas to betray him, that Jesus might be put to death. That would be his own destruction, but there's this hatred, it seems, this bitterness, this rage that goes beyond um, any kind of wisdom or reason that it's, that's lost on him. And so, um, again, he's asking this, and then you notice that Jesus is telling Peter this, or, or Simon this, and notice that Jesus doesn't pray that Peter would be spared but that his faith would be strengthened. Because I don't know about you, but if something bad or wrong or harmful or hurtful is about to happen and the enemy wants to, you know, wreck or shipwreck a portion of our life, I don't know about you, but my, my, my prayer is, Lord, deliver me from this. Lord, don't let this happen. Um, you know, uh, make this go away, you know, cause this to stop or, or something like that. But um, I find more than often than not, you know, Jesus is like, Peter, I'm not, I'm not going to just tell him no. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this to strengthen your faith. <laughs> and there are times when the Father wants us to go through trials that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, and I think, you know, we just need to be sensitive to that fact because I want to be spared. Lord, spare me from this, spare me from that, spare me from this. That's just my go-to line and my go-to heart. But, you know, when we read here, we need to ask more for faith at times, for our faith to be strengthened at times, and maybe not necessarily for deliverance 
or the Lord might spare us from this. I think that's just a, a, a good thing to remember here. He says, you know what, I'm, you're going to go through some tough times, but I'm, I'm praying for you that your faith is going to be strengthened through this and that you're going to not fail. And when you return to me, you know, that I want you to strengthen your brother. Notice his faith won't fail. Although we read about how easily he'll give up Jesus here in a little bit when he's in, you know, standing before the fire of the high priest's house and people are asking him, you know, do you believe, you know, aren't you one of his followers? And then, you know, but when he's called on it, he'll, he'll, he'll be broken heart and, and he'll go away crying bitterly, absolutely. But at that time, you know, he might have thought differently that, man, that's it. You know, I gave him up so quickly to these people that were just asking a question. And I sold him out so quickly. You know, what's the point? What's the use? But, but he won't. Your, your faith won't fail you. And yes, it's going to be some difficult times. And yes, there's going to be some difficult lesson in this for sure. But, you know, uh, your faith is not going to fail you. I've prayed for you. And I can't help but to think, you know, of the application for us as well. You know, ours won't either. Because, you know, the Lord wants us to be conformed into His image, to be more like Him, to love Him, to serve Him, you know, to grow in our capacity. <clears throat> you know, we just never reach a point where, you know, we've arrived and we're doing this and we're doing that and, you know, okay, that's good enough and I'm you know, just kind of keeping a steady ship here. No, he's constantly moving us and growing us and causing us to be more like him, really, in, in essence, preparing us for eternity in, in so many ways as well. And, um, yeah, there's going to be the ups and downs. But, uh, again, I, I like to think the same thing, you know, that you know, our faith is not going to fail us. But here's the problem that Peter and sometimes we or others have. Because Jesus tells this to, to Peter or to Simon and says, you know, I pray it won't fail to you. And, you know, and, and when you've returned to me, and you're not gonna, the bottom's not going to drop out, you know, strengthen your brothers. And, but here's the problem. Verse 33, uh, Peter answers Jesus and says, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both, to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day till you will deny three times that you know me. <laughs> Here's the problem, is that Peter, you know, uh, you know, thinks that, you know, no, 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 you're saying this, but I got it handled. I, I like this quote, um, uh, Philip says about this, he says, Peter had completely under, underestimated the fierceness of Satan's coming attack and overestimated his own personal courage and commitment. And this is one of the problems is sometimes, you know, uh, you know, we know that the attacks are out there. We might even know they're coming or we know we're in the midst of one or we know the temptations out there or we know, you know, this is going on. And, 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 and some, in our own minds, you know, we make the same mistake that Peter did, which is, you know, oh, I can handle it. I, I think I'm able to handle this. It's not so bad. Or I'm walking pretty tall right now, you know, and, 
you know, I, I feeling pretty good and I'm pretty good pretty pretty much everywhere around or, you know, or I, or I got this handled. And um, that, that's pretty much what Peter's saying here. But if we're walking on feelings, all this can change so quickly. Because truly, you know, when we have this attitude, that's what we're doing. We're basing um, our ability um, for the temptation or the trial or the difficulty or whatever might be coming away, we're basing that on, on, on how we're feeling any particular given moment. Given moment. We're not really assessing ourselves in, in, in the spiritual condition. And, um, you know, uh, or we underestimate, you know, the, the fierceness of the attack of the enemy. But Peter thinks, no, no, there's no way I'm going to do this, Lord. You know, there's just, just I'm not going to do this. It's just not going to happen. You know, I'm ready to, to go to prison and to death the whole nine yards, you know. And, and probably in that moment, you know what, he, he, he really believed that. I'm not arguing that. He didn't really believe that in his, own, in his own heart. But just in a few hours, Peter will be intimidated before a little, you know, servant girl and a bunch of guys kind of around a fire warming up, and, and, and you know, he'll deny to her and to them that, that he even knows Jesus. In just a matter of hours, this will happen. And, you know, in the Christian life, we may falter, but we must never fail. You know, if we ever deny Jesus in some way, then our heart is that we return to him immediately and be ready to help and encourage others. Absolutely the truth. And never overestimate our ability or how we feel things are going in our lives right now as a way of, you know, uh, you know that's not going to be a problem or I got this handled or I'm dealing with this and don't worry about this, got it covered. Because that's usually when we're setting ourselves up for a bigger fall. And that's exactly what was going on with Peter. And again, it can happen to us so easily as the same way. Because, you know, we're really basing it on how we feel at, at the given moment rather than saying, you know, Lord, you know, I desperately need you. Well, what's that old song? Every hour I need you. We sing that once in a while, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I, I need you. And, you know, Lord, if, 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 if you know, I can't do it on my own. And, uh, you know, without you, I'm going to fail. And, and though I might have walked with you for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever years, um, I, I realized that, you know, the enemy is powerful and my, my own commitment, my own courage, my own thoughts of how good I can do or can be or am in, in certain areas, I have some good strengths here, um, will always falter. And, uh, you know, He's certainly saying that to Peter, um, but he said he's going to pray for him. His faith's not going to fail. And uh, again, when we do falter, when we do fail, again, we just return to him immediately, just like Jesus said, and be ready to help and encourage others because we'll know others are going to fall into that same trap and fall into that, uh, be lured in, and or the enemy attack is going to come with them as well. And so... I think, you know, some great application for us today as believers as well here. And then Jesus is going to go on in verse 40, 30, 35 and say this, And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. 
And then he said to him, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And this is what was written about him. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It's enough. (laughs) It is enough. Now, Jesus is changing something here, and the disciples, like usual, and like us, you know, are kind of dense to kind of what's going on here a little bit, I think. Um, You know, Jesus told them before, you know, this lesson in faith, when he sent them out, remember we went through the the gospel earlier, hey, I want you to go out two by two, don't take anything with you, I I want this to be a lesson in faith that I'm going to provide and take care of you, and, you know, you're going to find a place to to sleep and people to feed you and things that you need will be provided to you, and I want you to go out ahead of me to the places I'm going to go and prepare all that, and so they they did all that, they were doing, you know, he, he gave them abilities to do miraculous powers and to heal and to uh, drive out demons and all that. And so they were learning that great lesson in faith. But now, nearing the hour of his death, he says to them, things are going to be different for you. I'm not going to be there with you. And while when I was here, generally people would receive you with goodwill because of me, Well, it's not always going to be like that. So now I want you to learn something new, and there's going to be this new transition here. This is going to be a new season for the disciples, and I want you to be prepared for this. Um, Things are going to be different, and now you can take things with you, and there's not going to be this warm welcome necessarily that you had. And, um, you know, things are going to operate a little differently. Not that there's not lessons of faith, because there's certainly lessons of faith even in the midst of all of this. But what he's doing is he's preparing them for um, another season in their life in ministry. And this was going to be a new season of ministry for them, doing something different than they did when Jesus was with them. And now Jesus is preparing them for this. What I think it's important for us to see is he does this in our own lives as well. You know, we have one season of this preparation where he's preparing us and teaching us this and we're learning this and we're experiencing this and he's showing us this and he's doing this. And then as he prepares us in all those areas, then comes another a change in where he's moving us to a different place that we can put into application all the lessons and all the things he was preparing us to do and uh, he he does that he just doesn't send us out cold um, I, I, I can only tell you well from the experience of others certainly but experience in my own life I mean every change of things in my in my life I you know and I think if you look back in your own life you could say you could see his fingerprints on preparing you or me for what he was going to do next even though we didn't understand what he was going to do next and maybe it came even as a shock in one sense what he was going to do but 
But as we look back, we see, oh, he was setting all this in order, in order that this might take place and use us in this area or move us in this area or do this through us. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's working in our lives this way. And he, he, he constantly is doing that. He doesn't just throw us in the, in, in, in the bullring unprepared, if you would. Well, that's probably a bad analogy for all the animal rights people. Let's see. I don't know. Um, you know, it throws us into the whatever. Um, I can't think. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> right away. He's preparing us, right? He's preparing us. And he's working, and you know, some of it we might be recognizable, others it won't. But typically, always later, you can really see that all working out. And that's what he's doing here with the disciples. But for some reason, these guys get hung up on, and people get a little confused about this. You, you know, um, you know, he says it's, it's going to be a time where um, you, you know there's going to be a time where you you're going to have to defend yourself and they're like oh okay swords you know the, out of all that what these guys pick up in their mind is we need to have swords <laughs> not, not about the change of how he's doing ministry but the the fact that he that he talked about having a sword and um, so they just kind of pick yeah we got two swords here you know and People kind of, again, get this verse a little bit confused here, but, but he's, he's telling them, you know, you're going to have some rough times and there will be a place for a sword or, or some sort of self-defense. Uh, certainly going to have that. And, um, you know, and, and again, their response is, you know, look, Lord, here are two swords. And, and then, you know, Jesus said, it's enough. It is enough. And, you know... Jesus answers that when they say, we have a couple of swords, it's enough. Now, don't misunderstand this because, again, the confusion can be that, oh, you know, he wants them to have these swords available right now. But what are two swords going to do in comparison to the crowd that's going to be there? Obviously, nothing. Two swords against this huge crowd that is coming of soldiers mixed with others that are armed. Two swords aren't going to do anything. As a matter of fact, one of them, as we know, Peter, will try to use one of those swords and, uh, <laughs> you, you, know, um, you know, ends up just swinging around and cuts off, you know, the high priest's ear. We'll talk about that in a second. So it's obviously not talking about, um, I want you to be prepared to use those swords now. You know, what's, what's Jesus saying when he said it's enough? He's basically saying, okay, that's enough. <laughs> kind of like when you say to your kids when they're running around crazy or, or somebody that works driving you nuts or this or that, okay, that's enough. You know, like, okay, we're done kind of thing. That's, he's not, he's not going to go down and talk about this sword thing anymore because that's not the point of the whole message here. He, he's saying that's enough uh, talk about this and we're not going to talk about why we need swords and all this kind of stuff because he certainly wasn't talking about they needed him for, for that hour that was coming because two swords would certainly not have been significant and then Jesus is going to talk about I have legions of angels I can call down and all this kind of stuff we're not here to swing swords around Peter and to others who were watching Peter swing that sword around but it does bring up a question doesn't it what does this mean for the believer today and I think it kind of boils down to this and and this has a lot of broad application you know, should a believer own guns? Should a believer not own guns? Uh, are we trusting in God if we don't? And 
we aren't, if we do, uh, uh, or, or is it okay? Is he saying it here? Is he giving us permission? What is, what, what's, what's the real, how should we defend ourselves in this situation? Or should we defend ourselves? You know, what, where does faith come in? Where does having some, some, some sort of defense come in? Well, let me give you the answer on Wednesday night. <laughs> da. We actually are going to be talking about this on Wednesday night with Ezra. Because I think Ezra and Nehemiah has the classic, greatest answer to this question here. Because we're going to see Ezra approach it one way, and we're going to see Nehemiah approach it a completely different way. And we'll answer that question in detail on Wednesday night when we get to Ezra chapter 8. And we'll look at 8, and we'll look at Nehemiah, we'll look at the two because it is a great demonstration of this in, in the lives of people of the Old Testament. So you have to wait till Wednesday to if, hear the answer. So, <laughs> But he's telling them overall, the point of this whole thing that he just went through was, hey, listen, you know, things are changing. I'm not going to be here and I've prepared you for this. And now things are going to change and you're going to enter in a new season of ministry. And that's the, the point of all this. Then, obviously, something happens. Verse 39, we kind of change scenes here. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. So you have um, the Last Supper, and you have everything that Jesus speaks to them in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And if you want to know more about that, as I said last time, you can read that. And then we know um, as he's leaving Jerusalem, the, the disciples point out the stones and the buildings. And so he's, we, we talked about the end times already. And then he's going now to this Mount of Olives, um, which is you come out of Jerusalem, you come out of the temple area. Um, and you kind of go down a little bit, and then you go up a little bit, and that's this mountain face that fa faces Jerusalem. Um, in fact, it's the one that picture is taken from right over there. That's the perspective. And then uh, a couple of things, and I'll show you some pictures of that. But notice that you know Jesus knows that Judas is betraying him, and yet he does not change where he normally would go. He normally has gone there. Judas knows where he goes when he's leaving Jerusalem and he's going to stop somewhere or he's going out of the city afterwards. Maybe he's even been staying there. He's not changing where he normally would go because he could very easily have done that and avoided Judas completely. But you can see that that's not what Jesus is doing because he knows what, he has, to, what has to happen and what he has to do. And so they're going out. And then here, here's, it, here's what it looks like. Well, when I was there, I was thinking about that. Yesterday, I guess these pictures are 25 or 30 years old. But, um, but anyway, you can see the olive trees, and then you can see in the background, that would be the eastern gate to go into Jerusalem, um, roughly, and um, where the temple would be on the other side of that gate on the other side. And here's what a garden looks like today um, in the Mount of Olives there. So if you, you know... Again, Jerusalem's up there on that hill. This is up on this side of the hill. Here's what a garden looks like. Here's, uh, your, here's me some 25 or 30 years ago. Standing next to an olive tree that they say is would be one that was there a couple thousand years ago. And it did look like a couple thousand year old olive tree. It was, I've never seen an olive tree that big before. 
Um, and it just gives you some sense of maybe what the garden would look like. There is a number of those little gardens over there, um, mostly, um, uh, you know, preserved for the tourists. But uh, it gives you some sense, and maybe that gives you some sense what they went to. And so where Jesus is heading to, it's right outside of Jerusalem, literally, you know, a stone's throw. If you could throw a, if you had a good baseball arm, you could certainly hit one of these gardens with, with a baseball from the wall of Jerusalem or come a little close to that. So it give you some sense how close it is. And so he's, he's going over there to the same place. And then verse 40 tells us, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Now, of course, when we read the other Gospels, most of us are familiar with that Peter, James, and John uh, uh, actually come a little closer to him in prayer. And, uh, you know, he calls them a little closer to them in prayer. But here, uh, and the important thing is he's asking all of them to pray with him. And, uh, you know, uh, pray that they won't enter in temptation. It's going to be a difficult time for him. It's certainly a difficult time, going to be a difficult time for them. And so, you know, we need to pray. I, I think it's interesting that Jesus thought, you know, close companionship at this time. You know, pray with me, be near with me. Um, I think it's got great application for us. It was some, some difficult time coming up as he knew. He knew it was going to be some difficult time for them. And I think it's important that we have those close to us that can go to prayer with us and pray for us when times are tough. You know, we always should have a, a group or, or a network of, of friends and good brothers and sisters in the Lord that we can come to and say, hey, pray. will you pray for me? I'm going through this real difficult, dark hour and this difficult, dark time. You know, I, 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 I would like your companionship and your, and, and your prayers at this time that will you know, pray with you and pray for you. And I, I think it's just always great that we ha you have that close network of, of people that you can rely on and ask. We always need to have that. It's so important. Je Jesus is doing that here and um, telling them to pray and, uh, again, calling them close to him. And then as he went away praying again, uh, saying, verse 42, Father, if it is your will... Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So as Jesus is praying there in the garden, and again, these guys are close enough, obviously, to hear what Jesus you know, has to pray. Luke is recording you know, eyewitness events of hearing what he's saying and what happens and what goes on uh, during this time. And and, you know, one of the things he says is, uh, you know, take this cup away from me. Now, what cup is Jesus referring to? Because, you know, sometimes we start, you know, we think about this or we read about it and we think cup. And I don't know about you, but when I read about, you know, the cup, when I hear about the cup in the Bible, I, I, I kind of go to communion. I don't know about that's where your mind goes. That's where my mind goes. And so, you know, he just... Here's the cup I drink, the cup, you know, and he talks about that. We talked about that last week. Um, but, um, but that's not what he's speaking about here, certainly. That's completely different. And, and just to be clear on this, there are some differing opinions on it, but 
as always, I'll give you the truth. No, I'm just kidding. As always, I think it's pretty clear what Jesus is speaking about here. You know, he is speaking about paying for the sins of the world, right? I think it's pretty clear to most of us, and most everybody would agree that. You know, uh, it, it represents uh, the Father's judgment to reconcile sinful man to a holy God, and that price for our sins has to be paid that, uh, 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 that sinful man can be in fellowship and right relationship with the holy God. That you can't come because our sins hinder us. And there needs to be that, that bridge, that, that, that gap has to be filled in some way so that we can approach him and have this relationship. And so that is the cup of paying for our sins. Because, you know, think of this way, and maybe people have asked you this in the past, or maybe you've even thought of this, well, why do I have to pay for Adam's sin? You know, I wasn't in the garden. I didn't do it. You know, what him and Eve did, you know, I just kind of inherited. And one guy's, you know, mistake now, a whole slew of humanity, the whole slew of humanity, you know, is is paying for it in one sense. And yes, sin came into the world through one act and one man, but so did salvation. And, you know, uh, and, and, and that's the gap he's bridging. Yes, sin came by one man, as we're told in the, in the New Testament, but, but also salvation came through the act of one, Jesus, who now, to do that, has to drink this cup, as he just calls it, as referring to God's judgment and paying for the sins of humanity from beginning to end. Now, I I personally believe Jesus' death was peaceful. Don't misunderstand me. There was huge agony, and he was drinking this cup up to that point, but when he commends his spirit uh, and and says, that's it, and he dies on his own accord, nobody's killed him, he he dismissed his spirit. You know, at that point, that was, I. maybe the word is, lack something, but that was an easy transition because the cup had already been drunk up to that point. And you can know by some of the things he says on the cross and the agony he was doing, and it wasn't because he was on a cross or because he was beaten or because he was hanging there. You know, he, uh, there was this, and paying for our sins required this separation from the Father that he never knew. You know, and I and I can't begin to pretend that I could describe it to you in some sort of words where I could talk about the the triunity, the Trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and them always being together. But to pay for the sins, there had to be that separation where they had to be cut off. I I can't describe to you in words what what that was like, or what that felt like, or what you know. I, we just we aren't because it's. You know, I, it's beyond our capacity, I think, understanding, or else God would have laid it out pretty clearly in words. And I think it's just beyond the natural mind's understanding of that. But, but what we do know is that, you know, that required that separation. And, you know, and, and that's why he calls out, you know, to the Father, because that drinking that cup required that separation and then the, the price paying, that price paying for all of our sins. And I, and I labor this, and I talk about this, and I emphasize this because it, it, it needs to be cemented in our minds 
it, it needs to be separated, that cemented in our minds that, you know, he paid the price for all our sins. And the price that he paid is so much greater than we can ever really imagine. And, uh, you know, we know in, in eternity, in some way, he'll bear these marks of the price that he paid for us. And, um, you, you know, that we'll, we'll understand someday, I think, more fully in heaven what he really did for us and that love and the price that was really paid. But what we need to understand and, 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 and understand pretty clearly is Jesus is praying, if there's any other way, Father, for this to happen, to reconcile man to you, please let's do it. And the answer clearly was no. There is no other way. This is the way it has to happen. And I say this is so important for us to know is because, you know, there is no other way to heaven. There is just one way. And if there was multiple ways, then Jesus wouldn't have to have gone through all this agony and drank this cup and go through all that, that again, I, I, I think, quite frankly, we'll be exploring the depths of his love for us throughout eternity and never reach the end of it, because that's how great it is. And we'll see more clearly this sacrifice here. But, but what we need to know now, and what's most important to us, is not so much exactly how it went down between him and the Father and how you know the sins and what that really means in eternity and all that, is the fact that his prayer was, if there's any other way, Father, to, to, to save man, then can we do it? And the answer came back, no. And what we need to stand firm in is what we pretty much already know, and I'll remind you is, of course, uh, a great verse on this, although there's many of them. John 14, 6, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I think that is the essence and the importance of knowing why, you know, him taking this 